The views and opinions expressed during this program do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of WHIO and Cox Media Group. This hour is sponsored by There is a Season. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. Dayton's all news and talk is 1290-957-WHIO. There is a season. Welcome to There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Thank you very much for joining us. We're always glad when you can spend a few minutes here, and we encourage you to tell your family and friends about our show. So in the last several weeks, we've been discussing a variety of topics uh, from this volatile, tumultuous year, including the impact COVID-19 has had on our ability to be with loved ones in community care settings. We also talked about emergency preparedness, both the physical kind, the material kind, and also with regard to important essential documents and procedures we'd like to have followed in the event of our passing or even in the event of our becoming incapacitated. What else did we talk about, Gloria? We also talked about the nature of freedom and entitlement in this summer of protest Mm -hmm. and where legitimate forms of self-expression have figuratively and unfortunately literally bled into a violence and anarchy. We also talked about an ongoing everyday challenge faced by millions of Americans, and that is Alzheimer's disease, which affects well over 5 million people directly, that is, those suffering from the disease, and many, many millions more who care for them, both professionally and personally through family care. Now, in that show uh, that we first did about Alzheimer's, we covered the warning signs uh, the, the, the warning signs. We also covered uh, the risk factors, who may be at risk and why. And we touched on a number of other areas we'll get into in more depth today, including the stages of the disease, what to expect in terms of a diagnosis if you go to the doctor, and we'll also talk a little bit about some research a little later on. So we begin today by talking about the stages of Alzheimer's, which progresses at different rates for different people. But in general... So there's three stages, right? And this is not this is fairly easy shorthand. There's early stage, middle stage, and late stage uh, Alzheimer's. And why don't you give us an overview of um, how this progresses? So the symptoms of Alzheimer's disease worsen over time, although the rate at which the disease progresses does vary. On average, a person with Alzheimer's lives 48 years after diagnosis but can also live as long as 20 years, depending on other factors, of course. Changes in the brain related to Alzheimer's begin years before any signs of the disease. Now, this time period, which can last for years, is referred to as preclinical Alzheimer's disease. Now, when we talk about stages, we'll put in the one caveat here, which is similar to what we did when we talked about warning signs. When you look at the warning signs and you see any one of them, you might say, well, gee, I, I, I do that sometimes. And so a lot of times we always talk about the severity or the frequency or the combination of various warning signs. Same thing applies here in terms of the stages. Obviously, there's some overlap uh, in these things moving from early to middle to late. But here are some of the things we can discuss, uh, at least to give you an overview of what the early stage would be like. So in the early stage of Alzheimer's, a person may function independently. 
he or she may still drive, work, and also be a part of social activities. Now, despite this, the person may feel as if he or she is having memory lapses, such as forgetting familiar words or maybe the location of everyday objects. Symptoms may not really be widely apparent at this stage, but family and close friends may take notice and a doctor would be able to identify symptoms using certain diagnostic tools, of course. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit on the program. But here's what I mean about the common difficulties that a lot of us experience at some time. So again, think in terms of frequency and severity. Coming up with the right word or name. I mean, who doesn't do that, right? You know, I don't I, have that problem. You but... don't? Well, you've got that no. photographic memory. <laughs> Not um, yet. Remembering names when introduced yeah. to new people. That's a difficult one for anybody, isn't right, it? Right. Yeah. Um, having difficulty performing tasks in social or work settings. Forgetting material that was just read, you know, comprehension. Losing or misplacing a valuable object. And you may experience increased trouble with planning and organizing. So again, think about how uh, all of us live our lives. And we've We've joked, and, and I know it's not a joke for some people, about adult ADHD, right? We're all so scattered. We have a lot of digital uh, distraction going on in our lives. We're, we're running at a hot pace, a lot of us. And some of this stuff happens anyway. I would suspect that in the early stage, it's often missed. You know, I, I would suspect, and I'm not a physician, that much of Alzheimer's is not what they call clinically diagnosed until maybe middle stage. Because... We all do some of those things, and it could be because we have, yeah, our plate is just too full or stress yeah. or whatever. And I would imagine that those people who maybe do get a diagnosis or who do advance in their uh, Alzheimer's later on, people might trace it back and say, Looking you remember back. when they were having yeah. trouble a lot with this? Right. And so think about all those things that were on that list here, coming up with the right name, remembering names, you know, short-term stuff. You just met somebody, you can't remember their name, losing objects and so forth repeatedly. I mean, my family could tease me about that all the time. You know, I'm always misplacing keys or something like that. Uh, and, and I'm always saying it was right here you know, a second ago. So who knows? I got to watch out. All right. So you have the early stage. Now, middle stage or moderate Alzheimer's is uh, typically the longest stage. And this can last for many years and obviously can change in its degree of severity. As the disease progresses, the person with Alzheimer's will generally require a greater level of care and understanding. Yeah, so during this middle stage of Alzheimer's, the dementia symptoms are definitely more pronounced. The person may confuse words, may get frustrated or angry, and act in unexpected ways, such as refusing to bathe, for example. Damage to nerve cells in the brain can also make it difficult for the person to express their thoughts and perform routine tasks without some type of assistance. So some of the symptoms, which can vary from person to person, might include being forgetful of events or personal history. These are things that happen to that person directly and, and they suddenly are no longer in the memory banks. Feeling moody or withdrawn, especially in socially or mentally challenging situations. Uh, being unable to recall information about themselves like an address or a telephone number or maybe the high school or college they attended. These are typically big mileposts in our life. Yeah, another one to watch out for is to notice if they're experiencing confusion about where they are, what day it is, um, requiring help choosing the proper clothing for the season or maybe an occasion. Um, some people have trouble controlling their bladder and their bowels, and they change have changes in their sleep patterns. 
such as sleeping during the day and becoming very restless at night. Now, what's a big one, Bob, that's of concern? One of the, the big ones, and, and this, this has happened, it's in the news periodically, it was in the news very recently here, uh, is people who have an increased tendency to wander and become lost. And that can be, um, that, can, that can happen within somebody's property. It can happen whether somebody is living at a continuing care uh, environment. And so a lot of times people, as this advances, will be in certain areas that are more secure to help protect against that uh, kind of thing. Uh, also, demonstrating personality and behavioral changes, including suspiciousness. Uh, sometimes a lot of times you've seen this where people will say somebody stole something right mm-hmm. from me. Uh, delusions sometimes, competitive, uh, compulsive behavior like hand wringing or tissue shredding and so forth. You, you can see how that's very different than occasionally forgetting a name or losing something periodically. Th- these are more common of the middle stage or, or the advancing stage of Alzheimer's. Right. So in these middle stages or the middle stage, the person who is living with Alzheimer's can certainly still participate in daily activities with assistance. It's really important to find out what the person can still do or find some ways to simplify those tasks. Um, as the need for more intensive care does increase, caregivers may want to consider some respite care, maybe an adult day, day center, um, so that they can have a temporary break from caregiving while the person with Alzheimer's continues to receive care in a safe environment. And we've talked a lot on the program about caregivers who uh, are helping along somebody who's got Alzheimer's. And it is, it is a tiring, uh, it can be a very exhausting kind of existence for people who are going through that because it requires you to constantly do a lot of mental calisthenics. And, and in that whole book we talk about often on here, Learning to Speak Alzheimer's, the author, Joanna Koenig-Costi, goes into great depth about what caregivers go through in trying to adapt their behavior. Let's talk now a little bit about late stage um, uh, Alzheimer's. So in the final stage of the disease, dementia symptoms are severe. Individuals lose the ability to respond to their environment, to carry on a conversation, and eventually to control movement. They may still say words or phrases, but communicating pain becomes difficult. For example, as memory and cognitive skills continue to worsen, significant personality changes may take place. And this is when individuals truly need extensive care, right? Which, yeah, and we ought to point out that this is just a little sidebar. When you are, if you are, in the uh, position of selecting a place where someone is going to live, a residential change. These are key things to keep in mind when you talk about someone's memory care capacity or an organization's memory care capacity, right? Not all places are the same. Not all places have the depth to be able to deal with uh, varying levels of change in, in Alzheimer's care. I would say a, a good thing to look for would be the ratio of staff to residents because it is it is very quick for a person to maybe wander or not know what's going on and need attention immediately even if it's just to calm them down right right and uh so folks with late stage alzheimer's often require around the clock assistance and daily personal care they lose awareness of recent experiences as well as their surroundings they can experience changes in physical abilities including walking sitting and eventually swallowing they can also misjudge distances and have falls more frequently They can have difficulty communicating, and they're also more vulnerable to infections, especially pneumonia. 
So the person living with Alzheimer's may not be able to initiate engagement as much during the late stage, but he or she can still benefit from interaction in ways that are appropriate, like maybe listening to relaxing music or receiving reassurance through gentle touch. This is where that ratio thing comes in, you know, as really important. So caregivers may want to use some support services such as hospice care, which focus on providing comfort and dignity at the end of life. Hospice can be of great benefit to people in the final stages of Alzheimer's and other dementias and their families for sure. And other key questions too that you reviewed in there or you touched on uh, when you are looking at a place or an environment that is going to care for your loved one, um, what, are, what is their program? Right? It used to be uh, often that medicine played the biggest role and people were used to kind of calming somebody down almost to the point of you know just regular sedation. And they've gotten away from that and they've talked more about other kinds of therapies. So those are key questions to ask. Therapy and a good routine and, and, and regular consistent staff is really important with each individual as well. Yeah. We've got a lot more ahead, including what to expect at the doctor's office. Let's say you, you have someone, either yourself or a loved one who's, who's advanced here in Alzheimer's, and you finally go to get a, a doctor's visit. Let's talk about the diagnosis. We'll talk about testing. And then later we're going to talk more about what to do after you or someone you love has received a diagnosis for Alzheimer's. We've got a lot more ahead. Please stay with us. You are listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. We're talking today about Alzheimer's, and uh, we've done a lot you know, on previous shows. We talked about warning signs and risk factors and so forth. Today we're talking about the stages, and we've given a quick overview of early, middle, and late-stage Alzheimer's. But of course, often well before Alzheimer's has advanced to the late stage, it's common that you may seek out uh, something more formal regarding a diagnosis. Maybe in hearing some of the the symptoms or the behaviors that we discussed, people are starting to wonder, well, what is going on? You know, what is going on with me? What is going on with a loved one I, I care for? Well, this is when p- people often will try to visit a doctor. Sometimes that may be a specialist, uh, but a lot of times it will start with the primary physician. And there are a number of things that will be evaluated in such a visit. And we'll go through those here with you. Yes. So in the beginning um, stages, when you're at the doctor, the first thing they're going to check is your medical history. They're going to ask you about past illnesses, medications you may be taking, and any family history, especially if dementia is in the family. You'll have a physical exam, which will include your diet, nutrition, any alcohol use, once again, medication review, blood pressure, temperature, pulse, listen to your heart and lungs, and probably and possibly a collection of blood and urine samples for lab testing, which might rule out something else that could be causing these symptoms, right? right. And there's a lot of other things that can be going on mentally or, or chemically or physiologically in the body. Now, this next one, um, I don't want to say the jury's out, but kind of falls a little bit into the research category because it's not the same for every physician when they when they look at this. But the whole idea of genetic testing, you know, is it in my family? Are there genes that can be pinpointed? Uh, some people will say yes, and some people say it's very reliable. Other people may say not as reliable, but this is certainly a question to ask the physician 
as you're going through this, uh, whether or not there is a genetic test available to try to pin this down. Now, if you're going to get a neurological exam, that's also going to include things like testing reflexes, coordination, eye movement, speech, and sensation. Again, as Gloria said just a second ago, you're talking about trying to rule some things out here in as much as you're also trying to define where somebody might be if it's Alzheimer's. Right. And I mean, somebody could have had a small mini stroke and nobody knew. So if you only have some of the symptoms, that needs to be ruled out. Another um, thing they'll check would be um, a person needs to know about symptoms. Are they aware of their symptoms? And so they'll do a mental status test. And this is where they try to see if the person knows the date, time, where he or she is, and whether or not they can remember a short list of words and instructions, and maybe even do some simple calculations. And that would include something called a mini cog test op um, optimally. And the person would be asked to complete two tasks, remember, and then a few minutes later, repeat the names of three common objects like, like apple, apple. yeah, cat, tree, yeah. or and draw a face of a clock showing all 12 numbers in the right places and then place a time on there specified by the examiner or physician. Your physician would also assess mood, sense of well-being, see if there's depression or, or anxiety going on, and then it may advance to the point of needing brain imaging. And that can include structural imaging of the brain using an MRI or a CAT scan to rule out other factors like stroke, trauma, any kind of fluid buildup and so forth. So that's a quick overview of what would happen as you went to a doctor to get a more official diagnosis. We've got more right after the news, including exploring what to do if and when you or a loved one receive a diagnosis for Alzheimer's. What can you expect? How can you share that news also with others that you care about? And how will it change your relationships? All that ahead when we continue. In the meantime, if you need help learning more about Alzheimer's disease, how to find a support group, or how you can support ongoing research efforts, here's the number to call, 1-800-272-3900. That's 1-800-272-3900. You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's our Ask the Expert weekend on the Miami Valley radio station with breaking news, weather, and traffic. 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. This is WHIO's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, this is Rush Limbaugh. This is my home in the Miami Valley. Dayton is our number one priority. You know that. And as news breaks, we'll break in anytime. 1290-957 WHIO. Welcome back to There is a Season, the show about how we change, how we age, and how we care for one another. I'm Bob Wolf, And I'm Gloria Shanahan. Be sure to contact us with your thoughts about this or any There is a Season episode by dropping us an email at bobandgloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. We've been talking about the warning signs and the risk factors and also now the stages of Alzheimer's, early, middle, or late stage. We just uh, talked about what to expect if you have a doctor's visit and what kind of tests may go on in that environment. And if we can get to it today, we'll even touch on a couple of uh, things with regard to research that's going on. Let's turn our attention now to the question of what to expect after there has been a diagnosis for Alzheimer's. People go through an awful lot with this, and certainly one of the things they can do is to get educated, right? We hope they're listening to this show. 
they can check out the Alzheimer's uh, website and there's a lot of other resources out there. But when people first get diagnosed, they go through a lot of emotional things, right, Gloria? I mean, it's of course it's, it's an enormously uh, it's a devastating diagnosis. I think for both the patient, if they're still you know aware of what's going on, and their loved ones, right? Because they're they're looking forward, saying, "Now, what what do I expect from this? There is no cure for this. How will I deal with this? Where is it going to progress in my own situation?" So, what are some of the emotions that people go through? Well, obviously, anger, right? So your life's taking a whole different course than the one you and your family had planned or envisioned. And you know you can't control the course of this disease. You also might, though, feel a little bit of relief. The changes you were experiencing were cause for concern indeed. And a diagnosis validated these concerns and appropriately maybe assigned a name to these symptoms, a reason for the symptoms, which is somewhat relieving, I would think. You're going to go through denial. The diagnosis seems impossible, though, to believe, and you may feel overwhelmed by how your life is going to change as a result of Alzheimer's. Depression is very common at this stage. You may feel sad or hopeless about the way your life is changing, and this is for both caregiver and the person who is dealing with the Alzheimer's directly. There's a lot of this that overlaps the, the stages of grief that we've talked about on the yeah. program before. Right. So resentment may sit, set in and you may be asking yourself, you know, what did you to deserve? What did you do to deserve this diagnosis? And why is this happening to you and not someone else? Fear is very common because of course, fear of the future, how your family is going to be affected. Now, this is a big one. Isolation. You may truly feel as if no one understands what you're going through or lose interest in maintaining relationships with others, especially others who aren't dealing with the same thing. I think that's common in any major diagnosis. And then, of course, you're going to feel a sense of loss, and it will be difficult to accept changes in your abilities to do the things that you once were able to do. It's important, I think, that people realize they've got emotional needs to take care of here. This is not just, okay, we've now had a, a medical diagnosis and let's just deal with all the medical questions. I mean, that's, that's one way to occupy your mind and do a lot of research and so forth, but there are emotional needs that people ought to try to address. Right. And that can be done one-to-one -one with people. It can be done through support groups. There's a lot of support groups with, uh, through the Alzheimer's Association. Uh, we know some people who have benefited from those things in significant ways uh, as caregivers too. Right. Right. I think it's just really important to be able to talk to somebody about all of this. And most importantly, to realize that it's normal and that you almost have to go through those stages. It's, you know, it, you can't avoid it. Now, everybody's a little bit different about this, this next stage, because uh, I, I still think um, less so perhaps because so many people seem to have some aspect of dementia that they have dealt with in their family. But my dad used to always say this, when somebody's coming down the street on crutches, somebody looks right at that and says, oh, the person's on crutches, they must have a broken leg or something. They, they, it's an easy, visible way to say that person's suffering. When it comes to things that involve some kind of cognitive impairment, I think people sometimes, they, they, they double clutch, they get somehow embarrassed about that, or they're embarrassed that somebody that they're with is now behaving a little bit differently. Right. Because there's been so much light shed on Alzheimer's disease in recent times, Bob, I do think that that one is more understood and accepted by others once people are told. 
but you look at mental illness and once again, people don't know you suffer from that and that's such a difficult diagnosis. Alzheimer's, thankfully, is well spoke of. And I could see, though, uh, if somebody knew somebody from a social setting, could be church, could be some other setting, and they hadn't seen the person in a while, and perhaps the spouse has had some cognitive uh, impairment along the way, it might be a little bit off-putting, a little bit unsettling to suddenly see that because your frame of reference on somebody is A, and now they're at B. And it takes a lot of, uh, you've got to be pretty adept, pretty emotionally high, high IQ there to be able to reach out and, and be understanding in that situation. Right, right. All right. So, but why, you know, if you're going to share it, if you're going to be open about this, what are some of the reasons that you would do this? Well, concealing or denying your diagnosis is going to really, it's going to limit your ability to cope with the challenges ahead. If, if you're trying to, you know, worry about keeping everything secret and private, that's going to kind of operate in your mind as the way to be. And it's going to keep you from being a flexible thinker. Yeah, the support of those who know and understand you and love you will be the best support and the support you need most, I believe, through a diagnosis such as this. How do you decide who to tell? Well, some people choose to share their diagnosis with just their closest family and friends, you know, while others may be comfortable sharing their diagnosis with a broader group of people, maybe groups they're in. You have to really look at your own personal comfort level in deciding who you're going to tell. And some people might not want to tell people, and some people might. But, you know, wherever you feel more supported, that's who you tell first. And just think about that. Who, who are the people in your life that you feel closest to? Who will continue to support you with the diagnosis no matter what? And, and I don't just mean a kind word now and then, but also perhaps... Uh, in real physical ways. I mean, if you're, if you're a caregiver and so forth, one of the things we've talked about many, many times is getting respite care, giving somebody a break, finding something you can do to help that person out. Right. So that's why the people who are closest to you in your circle, you're responsible really to tell them. And it, it just makes sense because they're going to be the people that are going to be there for you. You may also want to consider when to tell your news. Um, you may want to tell it right away, or you might want to wait until you've had time to come to terms with it yourself, to adjust to it so you better understand how you're going to behave and how you're going to feel about it. It does require a certain amount of fortitude, you know, to kind of adjust your own life to some of these things. Right. And when you're sharing this diagnosis, you may also want to talk about planning for the future, right, um, with your family and friends. And explain more about Alzheimer's to people who might not really be in the know, you know, and that's where these books come in handy, the learning to speak Alzheimer's, etc. Right? Right. So um, as you as you look to um, share some of this information with other people, uh, and to discuss it in your own, uh, your own family, you want to be able to assure that you're you're assuring the person who's got the disease uh, that they're loved and cared for here and they're not uh, this burden, this extra problem and so forth. Um, you are going to also let other people know that your own reactions to the situation are going to change over time. What they see in day one may be a little different than what they see six months from now or a year from now. Um, but it's also important to remember that the person going through Alzheimer's is still the person you love and care for, right? They are still you. They are still me, whoever happens to be uh, going through this. So there's a lot of things to consider uh, under the emotional area of, uh, of, of dealing with Alzheimer's and telling other folks about this. Now, one of the key things also that um, 
folks have to deal with is relationships because relationships also change with the key people in your life. Um, you've got, I'm trying to find a, a note here on this. Well, I mean, you have to remember to still, you know, keep your relationships positive and, and maybe productive, um, not to completely just shut down and be all negative. You have to be open about your feelings and share your experience living with this disease with those people that are close to you in your relationships, right? Right. You're also, um, in, in, in the people who are the, the, the very closest, you, you realize that Alzheimer's, and this is covered in depth in the book that we've mentioned many times before about learning to speak Alzheimer's, uh, it changes the traditional roles that people have had, right? If you, especially spouse to spouse, you know somebody for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years or more, imagine all of the little things that you've become used to, the predictable behavior, the, the expectations, right? You expect the other person to know what you think. And sometimes that leads to friction in relationships that don't have any Alzheimer's, right? But now that's a hard thing to deal with, that people are changing. Right. I, each, each side of the relationship, when you're talking about Alzheimer's, they have to each have time to adjust to the diagnosis. And anxiety, frustration, and loss are common, right? So you have to give each other time and realize that things are going to change. But you definitely need to realize that it might even stir up a lot of fears about the other person's future as well. You know, the person that you are close to. And you're going to want to pay attention to this. Role changes are going to be a big thing, right? Um, mm, yeah. You know, somebody who's got Alzheimer's may suddenly feel, um, as abilities are changing, that they're excluded from conversations about long-term planning and other important decisions. They may feel that something is going on kind of behind their back. And some of that may, in fact, be necessary. Right. You want to have people included as much as possible, and you have some general sense of how you're going to care for someone. But you got to understand that loss of independence that we've often talked about intergenerationally, right, between parents and adult kids, also happens in this situation, too. Right. There might be specific things that were your primary responsibility in your life, you know, maybe paying the bills, driving... Those close to you may feel the need to make the decision for you about when those will cease. Maybe you're going to need to stop driving. You may experience a loss of employment. That's a big deal. Or a loss of role as the breadwinner. Or even feel different if you're a spouse, knowing that your loved one is going to have to help you and take care of you. And that's very hard to accept. Right. A lot of people don't want to be a burden. That's something you hear a lot. Right, right. right. So be open about your feelings, be specific of how you'd like to continue the relationship, how you'd like to grow the relationship. I don't know if people talk about that enough. Ways that you can maybe start doing some of the things that you haven't been doing in a long time. Learn to ask for help. Believe that you can strengthen a relationship. Uh, there's a lot of different things here. The, the Alzheimer's site has a great deal of information, by the way, uh, about how to deal with some of the emotional and relational changes that go on, including they also talk about intimacy and sexuality. It's more uh, than, than we have time for on this program, but they have an interesting download, a PDF for that at ALZ.org if you'd like to check that out. We're just kind of doing the overview here in this part two of our Alzheimer's uh, coverage, and we're going to talk more here about in the time remaining in the show about research, what's been going on in the world of research, and we'll get to that when we come back. 
You're listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Welcome back to There is a Season. I'm Bob. And I'm Gloria. We've been talking about Alzheimer's today and about the stages and so forth and what to expect after a diagnosis. Let's talk briefly about research here. There's a couple of great websites. The Journal of of Alzheimer's Disease is one of them. And what's the other one? It's called sciencedaily.com. So the first one is j-alz.com and the other one is sciencedaily.com. And there's a number of different reports in here. These pop up all the time to talk about what's going on in the Alzheimer's world in terms of research. One of them is that estrogen replacement may protect against Alzheimer's disease in women. So that's one of those things. If that's coming up and you're, you're a candidate for estrogen replacement, certainly you can ask your doctor about that. What right. else? Another one um, has found a new link between diabetes blood markers and Alzheimer's disease pathology. Just basically a new study that's saying that um, the results are in, that they might suggest a link between Alzheimer's pathology and lower levels of insulin and lower insulin resistance. So um, that's a good thing to keep in check is your sugar levels. Right. And when we talked about the mind uh, diet, uh, which we've done a number of times. Sugar's that. not really one that's in there. <laughs> no, <laughs> sugar is way <laughs> down protect. the list. That's right. right. This one is tied to this, uh, the whole thing about diet and sugar and so forth. And that's body weight has a surprising, alarming impact on brain function. As a person's weight goes up, all regions of the brain go down in activity and blood flow, according to a new brain imaging study uh, that's been out there. One of the largest studies linking obesity with brain dysfunction, scientists analyzed 35,000 functional neuroimaging scans using a single photon emission computerized tomography from 17,000 individuals. Wow. to measure blood flow and brain activity. Yeah, that's that, amazing. That's a big one. Another reason to eat healthy, right? Yes. And while you're eating healthy, a study from just this last May is that exercise improves memory. It boosts that blood flow to the brain. Scientists have collected plenty of evidence linking exercise to good brain health. And they have some research suggesting that fitness may even improve your memory. So, hey, who doesn't want to improve their memory. Absolutely. So j-alz.com is one of the sites and also sciencedaily.com to go read some of the research and really dig in and ask your physician about these things. How can people get more immediate help if they need it, Gloria? Once again, you can call 1-800-272-3900. That's 1-800-272-3900. And always go to alz.org for a lot of resources. A lot of research and, yeah. uh, and, and information. Also, you can reach us at Bob and Gloria at thereisaseasonshow.com. If you have any comments about this or any other questions we didn't cover today, I also want to share with you that we are approaching our 10th year anniversary on the air with this program. We want to thank you for being with us all these years. If you're new to the program, please continue to listen, enjoy it, and share it with other people you know around your town and around the country. We'll talk more about our 10th anniversary shortly, but that'll do it for us today. Remember, dear friends, seek grace in every step and never regret growing older. It is a privilege denied to many. 
We're here for each other, and we're here for you. For my dear friend and co-host, Gloria Shanahan, our terrific producers, and everyone who makes the show possible, thank you for your time, attention, and interest to what we do here. We'll see you again soon. You've been listening to There is a Season on AM 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. Have a blessed week. It's an Ask the Expert weekend on Dayton and Springfield's 24-hour news, weather, and traffic station, 1290 and 95.7 WHIO, Dayton's News and Talk. WHIO Dayton, WHIO FM, Pleasant Hill, a Cox Media Group station. Powered by Back to Business IT. Take care of your business. We'll take care of your IT.